This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today we have a distinguished guest with us on Audio Gyan, V Ravi Chandar. Ravi is an honorary director at the Bangalore International Center. He is also the honorary counsel of Republic of Slovenia in Bangalore. His entrepreneurial stint was around strategy and marketing consulting through his firm Feedback Consulting. He has worked voluntarily with state and local governments as well as civil society to improve cities. This was through his Bangalore Agenda Task Force JNNURM and the City Connect platforms. Apart from BIC, Ravi also helps run an annual Bangalore Literature Festival as part of his efforts to improve public spaces. Today we'll be talking about his pro bono work since 2000. with the city's hard and soft infrastructure so thank you ravi for giving your time it's a real real honor to have you on audio again uh thanks kedar thanks for having me awesome so i've sort of kept our uh, topic uh, name as redesigning cities and uh, i had done one episode with ayaz basrai a long time ago i think uh, i think it was nearing 98th episode uh, where we spoke about if we if we consider city to be as ha- our house what should be the kitchen and what should be sort of we went a uh, little philosophical there but here i wanted to keep the recent bangalore floods and bangalore as as sort of uh, the core uh, um, in understanding what are your thoughts are and we'll be focusing on if redesigning cities using bangalore as a peg so in your experience how how do we reimagine a city that is bursting at the seams and having host of problems and as pranay kotastane from puliyabazi says uh, and also takshishila that overpopulation may not be a problem but under governance is so keeping that as the context sort of uh, if you can start the ball rolling sure sure so you know when we think about cities and i you know for 22 years as you mentioned i've been working pro bono with the government civil society and a whole host of players in this space and at one level it looks like an impossible problem that you know the population is increasing day on day the vehicular population is increasing in bangalore we are in traffic jams in at another point of time it was the garbage that was a big issue in another city air pollution is the issue so if you take indian cities the amount of problems that they have got i mean there's a finite list of 20 to 25 of them it will typically be around roads and traffic and garbage air pollution waste management and the like and what is a bigger problem varies city to city but they all have their problems and part of this reason really is a lot of our cities particularly the larger ones which are more than 5 million population they have grown far beyond their carrying capacity so all these places have a carrying capacity of what they can take but because these cities tend to be job magnets you have people coming over to the cities and that puts additional strain and finances are not enough to keep in touch uh, as you mentioned about pranay's quote governance is absent uh, in most uh, indian cities governance is absent there is an issue of competence available in the system there is corruption definitely which is uh, uh, another big element in trying to fix these kind of places but the key thing really is uh, if we see the history around the world cities can regenerate i mean there are cities that have gone under and they have 
got reborn again and reinvented themselves. So we don't need to get pessimistic and say there is no hope. It is possible to reimagine a new city which takes into account the current dysfunctional realities. The key thing really is to be clear what is the kind of city that you are reimagining and what is the path which is there from the current what I call dysfunctional city to that imagined nirvana city of the future. I think if we get that thinking clear, it is possible to do it. And just as an example, even if you take a country like the US, you know, they were called the Rust Belt cities. So Pittsburgh, Cleveland, etc. after the steel and manufacturing moved out, those places were almost dead cities in more ways than one. The rivers were polluted. I mean, even a place like Singapore that we take as uh, example today, that why can't we be like that? Uh, about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it was a swamp in many places. I mean, the Singapore River was so toxic. It was, I think, worse than Belandur Lake in Bangalore. So the point I'm making really is, we look, it looks like a hopeless situation, but it is possible to imagine and fix cities if we are clear about what we want to do and how do we get there. Hmm. Yeah. But if, if I want to sort of ask, like, like we have to imagine, and is there any broad framework to imagine? I mean, there's, there's infrastructure and, as you mentioned, water and other things. But typically, we as humans have like a utopian sort of a vision, right? Like, and, and it's always a moving window. You can never reach there. So then how do you create those milestones if, if there is any framework to that? Yeah. So, I mean, framework is an interesting way to look at this whole issue. To me, the framework really broadly, at least in my imagination of the new city, is about places where it works for all people in terms of their live and work environment. See, if you really look at most of our lives, about 80 to 90% is around this whole area of what I would call as working, living. There's a social infrastructure in terms of parks, education. So if you really see most families' needs, and I'm talking about whether it's a poor segment of the population or a very well-to-do population, actually about 80 to 90% of what needs to be done can be imagined in what I would call a 5-kilometer radius. So, for example, if, it, if I take a live example, if you take the townships of Bangalore historically, so whether it was ITI or BEL and HAL, etc., these were live and work centers. So typically, people lived near the factory. They went over to work. In fact, many cases, they even came home for lunch. <clears throat> the, the township had social infrastructure in terms of schools, hospitals, had parks, and the bulk of, uh, I mean, obviously grocery shops and the like. So the bulk of the requirements of the entire family, the primary earning member, the spouse, etc., was met within that reasonably self-contained area. In my imagination, that is what we really need to get back to, what I would call a five-kilometer city, which means everything that I need to do in terms of my living and working on a regular basis is not just me. Even for my maidservant or my driver, the same five-kilometer rule needs to apply. And therefore, it has some implications for planners. But if you think in those terms, then walk to work, 
then uh, in terms of being able to have better pedestrian facilities, more parks and neighborhood parks and the like, will automatically develop. But for this to be a reality, one of the key things really is inclusive. We have to think even of the poorer income segments. So for instance, just as an idea, the idea of social rental housing is very underdeveloped in this country. We always think about housing as something that people must own. Even when it comes to slums, you say somehow shall I give them title to their property. I think what we need to think in terms of a decent place for them to live in, it's not necessarily that they have to own it. So the idea of social rental housing on scale could actually, if you see the Singapore example, you have these kind of rental housing spread across the place so that the support infrastructure that comes within that same neighborhood district is also living in the same space. You can't expect them to live 40, 50 kilometers away and yeah. expect them to magically come up in front of your house at 7 in the morning. So this to my mind, and we had the code in a certain sense, if you look through the townships, etc., it will automatically mean, and COVID in a sense has helped, not only the work from home, even in a technology world, I am seeing a likelihood of nearness centers. So work from nearby. You don't go to a large campus. You don't try to get a campus with 50,000 people under one roof. You try to split it across the city, but people go to their neighborhood centers which have good infrastructure, and it's a work environment, not necessarily the house, is going to be the future of work if one can reimagine that bit also. So, to my mind, this is the way to think about it, and in a Bangalore context, you then decide once in a month, okay, I think today I will go to Whitefield. And <laughs> then 29 days in a month, you're within this 5-kilometer thing with the bulk of everyone's life in that neighborhood of five kilometers is getting done. So this is where I feel this business of, if you look at traffic jams, it's coming because we are crisscrossing across the city. It's not only we are crisscrossing, the city is so badly designed, even in terms of its ring roads and the like, even the vehicular traffic is going through the city to catch a highway on the other side. So we just have to start looking at each of these issues. When it comes to garbage, it has to be like the old Las Vegas saying, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So garbage handling needs to be done within local communities uh, uh, through dry and wet waste and recycling centers and processing centers. It is very immoral, for instance, to ship it out 50 kilometers away and spoil a village of 5,000 people with the city, uh, 11 million cities waste. And then their groundwater, everything gets destroyed. So this is the way to my mind. So it's possible to do it, but you need some guiding principles in mm. terms of what does quality of life or quality of living in a city mean? What does it mean for somebody who is poor, who is middle class, who is rich? And then try to figure out in terms of how do you uh, uh, put together a solution that could work across uh, all segments. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And I want to circle back on this guiding principles bit that who makes these, uh, should they be top down or bottom up, but just wanted to have a small plug here that I interviewed uh, uh, Dhawal Asher in, in uh, the topic was Mumbai transportation. It is episode number 206, which I'll plug in. And he nicely sort of mentioned about uh, that there are these 
pockets within a city as well and you uh, these are typically business hubs so you create someone like a something like a whitefield and then like uh, something like a jp nagar and then a person has to travel daily but nobody is again thinking of making it further decentralized and creating smaller hubs so and and then we i think he nicely put it that we first start off with sort of one ways then you add signals then you build bridges then you keep just adding stuff nobody like takes a step back and first principle thinking and and just like make it decentralized let let this sort of system be uh, self sustaining and also there was one more video which i'll add it in the show notes uh, by uh, ravindra sharma i think he spoke about uh, he spoke about how this was the the 5 km radius city uh, this was design keeping like 500 years of timeline back then in india so maybe like it's a good sort of point to ponder upon exactly and in fact you know <laughs> this whole idea of decentralization is the way to go hmm. but you also need appropriate central <coughs> centralization but just you know you mentioned whitefield as an example from the time you imagine whitefield as a business hub you also need to think of it as a living residential hub the hmm. mistake we make is the industries minister is doing something on their own trip the housing person is doing something else the two need to be in tandem you know because living and working go together so if you are going to get over this business about not traversing long distances and the like you need to think end to end one is the supply chain of materials to the business hub and how will material uh, be sold and go out but how for example will electricity water supply where will people live where will their kids study where will they go for leisure you need to think more holistically our problem in governance is governance is designed in silos of government agencies designed to withstand a nuclear attack but everything that we need in a city that works requires us for what i would call a horizontal integration across these silos so if hmm. you want outcomes then you need to be able to have multiple agencies work in tandem unfortunately our governance structure is designed in silos which are territorial while what we as citizens desire as outcomes require those silos to if not broken at least coordinate their activities and collaborate for the necessary outcomes yeah yeah this silos is a yeah and it then it trickles down across till till the to, to lowest yeah. level <laughs> yeah so yeah circling back on that point that uh, yes there it is a very fundamental thing that we arrive at principles and that it becomes simpler to sort of uh, start working towards it so um, how do we sort of design these uh, principles as well should it be top down bottom up because like in last 22 years you started off with like certain sort of frustration and then you sort of arrived at understanding that we have to get hands dirty and get get in action right so yeah. so it is required be... so both are required each we have to be clear what is the role of top down what is the role of bottom up what is the role of voice of the citizen and what is the role of the elected reps we have to have that clarity now essentially there is i mean purely from a design principle of a city there is something something called the subsidiarity uh, you know rule or the principle hierarchy you basically say that what you can do at the lowest level of governance 
a ward or a local area kind of thing do it at that area what you cannot do at that area do it at an interim layer what cannot be done even at the interim layer take it to the apex layer as an activity so let me give this with an example sure if you take garbage management it is possible to decentralize at the lowest level and manage it locally you could do composting you could do local driver center recycling it can be decentralized but if you take something like public transport take the metro take a bus service they are normally thought of in regional terms you can't just plan for metro or a bus service within five roads or something you yeah. tend to do it at the apex level so transportation by nature will be an apex level decision and taken but garbage uh, and some other issues let's say related to street lighting of an area or a safety it's possible to decentralize and think so if you follow the principle of subsidiarity you will get to where you want to Mm-hmm. you also have what i would call as an activity mapping as a principle when you think about these things anything that you want to do there are about five or six param- uh, uh, parameters on which you have to have to clarity who is got who's the owner of that for instance who is the top person taking the decision in respect of that who is the funding authority who is the planning authority who is the person tasked with implementation what is the role of the local corporator what is the rights of the local citizen in the context of that you need to do that activity mapping that itself will make it clear to you which are the ones where the bottoms up planning approach will work very well and which are the ones where top down to a certain extent will be required at heart a basic guiding principle is voice of the citizen citizen participation as it is loosely called is really something fundamental you can't sit in ivory towers and vidhan saudas etc and uh, basically think that the place works it doesn't it works for people with those kind of perks so and the people who can tell you what life is like on the ground are the people who are suffering the pain so you need a principle which clearly says that there will be citizen participation and while it is difficult to make sure everybody's voices are taken into account they need to be heard and you need to find a compromise the other principle for example you know i was involved in these tender sure roads in bangalore where we had a basic principle let's be clear who's the primary customer on the street and in my view that is the pedestrian and mm. the hierarchy of customers the pedestrian is the most important followed by the cyclist followed by the person who's using public transport followed by the motor vehicle user so a guiding principle is we have this clarity when you're designing roads you'll make sure there's a minimum footpath for the person to walk on when the person has to cross the road you will not do an overbridge you'll actually get the traffic to calm with a signal and you'll get the pedestrian to cross at grade because there are trade offs involved when you have principles and the principles must guide the trade offs saying that look Beautiful. it is more important that the, i understand a highway kind of road you obviously need overbridges because there's too risky with those but within city roads for example pedestrians crossing at grade has to be a guiding principle mm. so the, for example you let's take about transport uh, the uh, principle that you need to follow is yes people need to move faster tomorrow than they moved yesterday 
but in the process of moving faster the number of accidents and deaths need to come down so mm-hmm. you have to find that balance that just because you want to speed everybody up including the person who can walk doesn't mean you can sit with a higher or lower safety record so there are always trade offs and compromises so i am a great believer that what you really need is this kind of guiding sustainability for example an overused phrase and particularly with climate change reality is something which is a core guiding principle that is mm. bulk of the food vegetables material must come from the nearby city neighborhood itself it shouldn't be transported from long distances to the extent possible you should be able to recycle reuse material all these have to be guiding principles as you decide what you are going to do so that's a way to think about it kedar correct correct i mean in theory it it makes a lot of sense because after so many discussions with lot of people i see a pattern here but then what's wrong or maybe what sort of where are where are cities or government or even people falling short when it comes to implementation i mean church street is a great example that uh, even everything is like designed uh, keeping sort of pedestrian first uh, right from the main uh uh sort of the main road also so there are only few sort of instances that we see that are well executed rest all it it sort of digresses or or i don't know what happens but have you yeah. observed where yes. it where the gap is yeah so examples like church street or st mark's road or residency road which are the initial roads for example these are meant to be example roads hoping that these roads will make the next 500 roads similar that was the whole idea so these roads tend to be a little more ring fenced and taken care of mm. the reason why we are in a mess broadly there are to my mind about 5 to 6 reasons one is it is not at all glamorous but we have an absence of governance of our cities you see we have a constitutional birth defect when the constitution was formed there was the center and the state and a lot of clarity about the relationship roles and responsibilities of the center and the state and they had the concurrent lists and state lists and center lists but unfortunately when it came to the third tier of government instead of specifying them as a third tier of government they used the word that local bodies and they mm-hmm. made them the vassals of the state government so whether it is the panchayat the rural kind of situation or the cities kind of situation they are at the mercy of the state government there have been constitutional efforts 73rd and 74 to fix it but in the case of cities they have been hopelessly inadequate so you have a governance problem where nobody is really in charge of the city nobody goes to sleep saying bangalore is my problem to fix not even the worshipful mayor of bangalore there's nothing much to worship the mayor for but even that person does not control bangalore because the bbmp does not control water supply electricity transport so many other things that affect the life so in the governance framework what you really need to think about is reimagining governance which decentralizes wherever possible and does appropriate centralization so it's a mix of both a decentralization as well as an appropriate centralization which doesn't exist today and you need to have governance units which are manageable a city of 11 million governed by one city corporation which anyway does not have all the activities there is no corporation commissioner who has been able to visit more than 25% of their territory in one in that term 
it's not possible because just the 720 square kilometers and the day-to-day -day problems it is just not possible so you have to decentralize and manage so that's the governance bit moving on we clearly have a huge competence issue we do not have sufficiently qualified urban planners i'm now talking mainly a lot on the supply side i will come to the demand side of citizens also so you don't have enough urban planners or qualified enough so competency is missing in the system in a big way i mean if the corporate sector big uh, shots actually went and took a sabbatical and spent a month inside of government they will collapse because they cannot even imagine how the city functions with so much of dysfunctionality in the system and lack of competence so there's a competence gap that is there Corruption is huge. It's not just about the 40% that is being bandied about over late. It's even more in my view, including the ghost works. And this is <laughs> data from people who have been elected reps. But corruption is a huge thing. And going back to uh, the competence, which is also linked to subsequent implementation, which we are very weak at. Now, you take a road. A road is supposed to have a certain geometry that needs to go towards the drains so that the water does not stagnate, you know. Today's uh, 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 this thing, what you call a, a rain puddle, is tomorrow's pothole and day after tomorrow's no road kind of situation. So water is a big enemy of asphalt. So you got to have the geometry that drains it away. You need to have a drain capacity that drains any kind of rainfall uh, away as quickly as possible as per the design conditions. All this requires both the design as well as the implementation. But with lack of competence and corruption, we have a bad design in the first place, even more poorly implemented, and that is the horror that we see on our streets. So there is this whole uh, corruption issue that needs to be think. Another aspect which really comes to the citizenry is the rule of law. We have no respect for rule of law, and that goes for all of us. We jump signals, we try to bribe our way into building permissions or something else. Now, when you have no respect for rule of law, you are going to have a lawless place and it will basically be a very Darwinian system of the fittest surviving uh, under the conditions that we see. So it is also the responsibility of citizens to play their role. But the mindset that is there today is that, look, everybody in the system is trying to cheat us. So better I cheat them rather than them cheating me. So we are all in this lockjam, uh, you know, dance Situation. to the bottom between mm -hmm. all of us. So that really are some of the issues that need to be fixed. And I have some thoughts about how potentially we could work on some of these elements. Yes, yes. And in fact, uh, like in the end, I have less... So we'll come to that. Just like wanted to uh, understand how did the floods happen? Uh, I mean, is it because of the silos or because it is everything put together? And any any sort of ways that we can prevent this in the future, which happened recently in Bangalore? Uh, so, floods is a very good example to see why we are the way we are. If I have to summarize why we had this kind of flooding incident, if, the, if the, I'm allowed only one reason, the primary reason is we historically have not respected nature's contours. Water flows from higher areas to lower areas is a God-given truth. But if you play around with that, if you build on low-lying areas, if the path of the water is blocked, it's encroached, 
you are going to have a problem. So not respecting nature's lines as you went about your development model is the primary reason that you have had the floods, the primary reason. I mean, it could be an encroachment on a stormwater drain. It could be, uh, uh, I mean, um, building in low-lying areas and therefore breached lakes tend to flood those places, whatever. So we didn't respect nature's lines is the starting point of why this happens. Second, the rainfall characteristics have been changing over the years. Now, historically, if you see the textbooks, even today in classrooms, they say, assume uh, an average peak rainfall of 75 millimeters per hour while designing anything, the drains, etc. But in reality, if you see the last 20 years data, the average peak rainfall is closer to 125 to 150 millimeters per hour. So it is almost 70 to 100% more yeah. Then what is your theoretical, and, and I'm not even going with the terrible implementation of 75 millimeters per hour. <laughs> so that is, of course, a problem. So you have things that are not properly designed to evacuate the water that is there. Third, you know, when we have built our stormwater drains, for example, there's a good old model that slow down the water, don't speed it up. When you do concrete stormwater drains, you're actually asking the water to go faster downstream than it needs mm. to go. The same thing if it is not concretized where the water sinks locally in each area, less water will go downstream and it'll take longer to go downstream. By building these over-concrete drains, we have a problem. Then we have an over-concretized city across plots, etc. The more soft soil you've got to soak the water, the longer it takes for it to thing and drain out, etc. But if you have concrete, it tends to run off and again the drain gets crowded and, the, and then consequently you have a flooding down, downstream. Then you have the silt problem, where the lakes have not been desilted sufficiently, the drains have not been desilted. So even assuming you calculated a drain right for 75 millimeters per hour, which is not right in the first place, you did now because it is silted up 50%, its capacity has dropped again. So you're having a higher rainfall, uh, lower capacity because of silt. Then sewage. Sewage is meant to go to sewage treatment plants. But instead they are landing up here and taking up prime space in what should have been a pure rainwater flow kind of drain. Then you have the encroachments where people have halved the width of the drain and encroached it to build their own properties, etc. And I could go on, but you get a sense of all this is a disaster waiting to happen. And I always have said for the last many years that Bangalore's Surat moment, you know, Surat had the plague, but for us it is going to be flooding and repeated flooding. Till we get to respecting nature's lines and reimagine and redesign the city, saying that I cannot violate these basic principles of nature and I cannot invoke nature's fury, this is going to repeat itself. Yeah. But it, it's like, I know you're in the system, so, and you have thought about it methodically, so you can solve it. But uh, any sort of uh, ways or ways we can prevent this or, or at least, because, yeah, like, just like destructing and, and sort of moving buildings away is not the solution, right? So no. how can it be? See, so the, basically, the way back in the short term, fundamentally, as you, we spoke about principles earlier we have to take a watershed management principle. 
the problem we have knee jerk reaction okay there was a problem in belandur area let's do something in belandur it is not the way to look at it you have to look at a watershed area and say this watershed of let's say 50 square kilometers what is a comprehensive solution for the watershed area if you do watershed by watershed maybe you are looking at seven eight watersheds across bangalore which so my first point really is you have to think in terms of a larger watershed for which you fix the problem and not a point solution for somewhere where the flooding happened because next time the flooding will happen somewhere else so you need a watershed approach some amount of buildings which are restricting flow of the water from the high stream to the midstream to the lower lakes they have to go you can give them compensation you can give them some other place there is the principle of the larger public good here that if the larger public good is more people are getting think just because if your house has shrunk the storm water drain by 50% there so there is a certain proportion all need not go but there are some that are impossible to save because they are fundamentally in the path of the water that needs to flow and you can't afford a constriction out there that's a necessary condition the third one is this desilting we have to have a protocol and requires honesty because desilting is another area of corruption where nobody knows how much was desilted and the like but unless you desilt on a regular basis because it is a continuous exercise because that is the holding capacity of the drain of the lakes which are required to hold these places so and the the last point i would just make there look at the roads and the other places wherever we can reduce concrete and bring in more local rainwater recharge wells uh, do those kind of initiatives they will all add up to help in the long run and of course needless to add a point i made earlier the sewage needs to go to stp plants and not land up in this drain so that broadly yeah. would be it kedar yeah yeah and and beautifully put uh, uh, and these seem to be a little bit of sort of hard infrastructural problems that we can solve uh, and as we say that india is like now rich with young talent and young sort of blood uh, any softer things which because now bangalore especially is sort of the fine, like whatever the technology hub and there are a lot of designers there so if some designers are listening any sort of softer aspects to deal with to sort of avoid uh, just getting a bigger house because they can afford and stuff like that anything that on We're those not fronts? just the house actually when because it's a tech city actually yeah. there's something which government needs to do and there's a lot that you know the tech youngsters in bangalore can do the government needs to put out a lot more of its public information database its mm. gis information coordinates contours it needs to put this out in the public domain because if you put this out in the public domain there are enough entrepreneurs out there who will come out with crowdsourced solutions for these problems they'll be able to look at local area neighborhoods and figure out the drains and the figure out the levels and figure out what needs to be done whether it's about flooding or about transport this is the format that london follows uh, california san francisco follows the city puts out a whole lot of public data in the public domain and entrepreneurs take information from there to design solutions which meet people's needs so this is the kind of public private cooperation that we require where the government is more forthcoming on the data that it is holding currently 
and that will allow uh, uh, individuals. So it's not about a larger house versus a smaller house. Uh, I'm saying that you can go for what you can afford, but at each stage, think in terms of how do you mitigate, how do you build in resilience against disasters. I keep saying that we have a problem. There is private splendor, but public squalor. So our campuses, our, you know, the gated enclaves are fantastic. But the moment you hit Main Street, the reality hits you. So yeah. we have to figure out how to make the Main Street as splendorous as these private enclaves. Yeah, true. I mean, the, the sad state of putting out data is, is also a different battle altogether. Because I did an episode, I think, 239 with uh, Fernando Velo. Uh, and and he designs maps in Goa, uh, and he was saying that we can't really design. We have to really go or use the GPS because government has everything. It's just that they are not giving access, sort of. Yeah, you know, because so, government holds the data. They believe in opaqueness. They don't believe hmm. in transparency. Yeah, they really. It's it's a short-sighted view, I think. It is, and all, but it also helps the people. That's why you have all these land issues, etc. The same property is sold three, four times, mm. because you don't have that digitized database which is put out there, so that people can know as to what they are getting into. Yeah, yeah. So can we really sort of redesign public spaces, uh, given the the dynamic and organic nature of it? I mean. Uh, any any sort of access so the answer can... is yes 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 that that's because you are like very optimistic person but <laughs> <laughs> no no for example you take the tender show roads before they came hmm. the concept of roads where the pedestrian gets some reasonable and you feel civilized walking on the street today maybe there are 30 40 streets like that hmm. i know we need 800 maybe 5000 streets like that it's a start Ten years ago, you would have said even that is not possible. Only cars and motor vehicles will get it. So the point really is, it is possible to redesign, but it requires a few uh, underlying conditions for it to happen. It needs a government that does not feel threatened and does not close itself to ideas from outside and actually welcomes crowdsource suggestions and participation of civil society. See, we are all in a collective hello. Whether you're Sarkar or whether you're a citizen, we are encountering the same potholes, same this thing. We're all in a collective hello. Mm. And there's a first rule of holes. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Start thinking, how do I get out of this hole? You dig, you're digging more into the hole. Yeah. So in a similar vein, if the government of the day, the elected leaders and the bureaucracy are willing to create space for people outside of government who have professional know-how on water and waste and traffic to partner with the government to find solutions, mm. to be able to do a better plan than what is happening currently. To my mind, the future lies in collaboration. You cannot, no one person can do it, whether you're in government or out of government, whatever be your status, it's not possible to do it. So you have to collaborate and we need to build these collaborative platforms. So there will be people who will do public-private participation as commerce, but there are people who are willing to collaborate with government where the tender or the RFP for that PPP is better structured as to what is the problem that we are trying to solve. Let that guy be paid to solve it. 
but let's be clear that we are solving the right problem. Now, for example, you see a transport bottleneck in one circle. People think, hey, let me solve this problem here. It is never here. The problem has actually started three circles before and two circles ahead. Mm. So you have to be clear what is the overall fix. And then you say, okay, this is the overall fix. Now let's work on this. And that will come increasingly through these collaborative kind of stuff. So the reason I'm optimistic is that there will be a day when things come to a thing and people are run out of it. Uh, I mean, uh, the anger on the streets are palpable. Then suddenly people will say, boss, we need to do something. Mm. And at that time, there'll be willing listeners of a solution that was being articulated some 10, 20 years ago. But there's always a time for it. It's like the liberalization of 91. It's not that you didn't know before it was required. Mm. But there is a time when it all comes together. So like even when we did the property tax reform of which I was a part of in the Bangalore Agenda Task Force, the time was ripe. The then Chief Minister uh, S.M. Krishna was behind the whole thing saying, let's go for this kind of property tax system. And 20 years on, it's become hard-coded in the system, the self-assessment scheme of property tax. Prior to that, you had a very different uh, corrupt system of property tax evaluation and estimation and the like. So it is possible... But it requires, to my mind, an enlightened leadership, a bureaucracy which is also willing partner in this thing, and an active citizenry which is willing to partner. And we need to break down this trust deficit that exists. Because you know a lot of NGOs are inherently suspicious of government. Government is inherently suspicious of these NGOs, for example, saying they're only litigating and stopping things, etc., so we need to reduce the trust deficit. But to reduce the trust deficit, the government has to make the first move and to show that it is different. It is responsive to what is happening. To me, that is the necessary building block. Then we have to throw away all these static master plans of 30 years and all that stuff. Yeah. You have to go for dynamic, strategic, spatial planning. And that is the way to go forward. And that the government can easily do. If you took just 20 strategic projects across Bangalore and say these 20 will be monitored by the CM because they are important across the city and something is a hardware park, something is to do with textile, something is to do with an entertainment center, something is to do with leisure, then by focusing on the success of 20 strategic projects, the entire hinterland will improve. Because you are focusing on the 20 but for the 20 to succeed, you'll have to bring in electricity, you'll have to bring in water, you'll have to do sewerage, you'll have to uh, do social infrastructure of schools and parks. And automatically, the larger neighborhoods will start seeing improvements. So the way to go forward to think about the future is what I would call a strategic spatial uh, planning of the city. Just follow a, a set of things, spread it across the city, bring diversity in the nature of the strategic projects, and you will watch the magic happen. Embrace the idea of a five-kilometer city and you will see uh, magic happen. In fact, I don't know how true this is, but I'm told Singapore, uh, where you're headed to, Kedar, mm. uh, as I told you, the river was toxic and nobody could swim. They actually had, I'm told, legend has it, they had a single-line statement uh, as a principle that one day human beings will swim in the river. Just a simple statement like that. Mm. And every decision that they took from then on, whether it was about building or roads or 
for, uh, ecological development or whatever you want to call it in terms of thing mm. they said this decision does it help the person swim in the river or not if it helps the decision can go ahead if it does not the decision is not allowed that is the way so you need one or two embracing principles so for example in bangalore it could be that one day kedar will swim in belandur lake mm. now if you embrace an idea that kedar will think then all decisions the criteria has to be will it allow kedar to swim in belandur lake and all things that help kedar swim in belandur lake will get green penciled and the rest will get red penciled that's mm. a guiding principle to reach an end objective beautiful i mean yeah we we do this to a certain extent amazon does it to a very large extent uh, uh in their principles while designing and building products so it's happening in, in private, private sector. sector and at a micro and a macro level both i think um, so so maybe we uh, we can conclude by sort of you telling you have engaged with multiple stakeholders uh, involving uh, sarkar samaj and bazaar uh which is kind of i'm very passionate and and curious to know also uh by by sort of collaborating with takshishila some point in the line but um like what what sort of your key learnings are if you have to reimagine the future i know you have covered a broad spectrum of things but just to sort of put yeah. it put it in like comprehensible sort sure. of buckets yeah one of course i would advocate a recent book that rohini nilakani has written which is basically on the samaj sarkar bazaar yes i know it's an old terminology but uh, she actually has put together a series of thoughts on the subject which is i would recommend people read yeah. my own personal learning as someone who has voluntarily worked with government and also engaged with civil society on civic issues i am convinced uh, sorry, sorry 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 I, i'll put the show notes uh, uh, the link in the show notes and it's also free to download that's why <laughs> sure. yeah sure yeah continue uh, the the thing here really is that uh, my thing that i have learned over the 22 years is there are good people everywhere you know we tend to say government is bad it's one of those generalization kind of thing i don't subscribe to that there are good people and there are not so good people they like it's true of all kinds of society it's also true of the civil the citizenry also but that said the my key learning really is that if a space is created i'm repeating a point i made earlier for the two parties to collaborate the mm. government and people from outside of government to find common solutions uh, solution that can work for the people magic can happen to me that is the biggest learning as someone who works from outside the system with the system you should be ready to work in parda you know you can achieve a lot if you allow others to take the credit if you stand up and say hey i did this there are 10 people ready to pull you down saying you didn't do it i did it or somebody else did it but if you care for the outcome and not for the credit and let the person who actually stands to gain by taking credit but is also taking the biggest risk by taking on that experiment mm. let that person be the face of it and let them take the credit and you are ready to work in the shadows you can achieve a lot so the point really here is to my mind collaboration and being willing to work as individuals willing to work with the system 
in a manner you don't you care more for the outcomes than who gets the credit for what in the end happens mm. is really to my mind the basic bedrock on which many other things can be built the other thing in this whole thing is that you know when you're working with the system you know we have all conflicted agendas you have your own personal interests on why you're doing something etc it works if you're literally agenda less except the outcome if you want something else in return while this engagement etc then life gets very complicated so another thing in this whole space and people are quick to figure out are you here in this place working with the goodness of your heart and not expecting anything else in return or you're actually interested in something else mm. they are smart enough to figure this out in terms of this thing so the chances of success are more my whole belief really is there's a part of our life which is transactional money oriented all that is happening so those are i mean the income expert we are doing that can each of us in our own limited way craft a part of our lives where we don't get transactional about what's in it for me mm. but think in terms of what's in it for the larger society you you know uh, so it's about the be good do good kind of philosophy and you don't do this because you want to feel good or great about something you want to do it because this is the right thing to do and you know my involvement of 22 years my biggest thing has been people say haven't you ever thought of giving up working with government day in and day out trying to do this and i have lost more battles than i have won mm. and i have said actually no i never saw this as a sacrifice i saw this as something i liked doing it used to get me out of bed even though the previous day was a disappointment next day you say it's another day let me again take a shot at something else you need that positive attitude to look at the bright side of what's possible rather than be bogged down by what's well almost impossible yeah. so that's the way to think about it and if you approach it in that manner so i always tell people when you're doing things for the larger good it's not a sacrifice in fact in my 22 years of involve, uh, involvement i personally think personally i have got much more than what i have given and that has been just personal satisfaction that hey this was a challenging task it was engaging and when some success happened it was gratifying that's happiness enough yeah it it, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive in the beginning when you start doing it but once you get that i mean we have this roti kapda makan and then whatever then maybe arts <laughs> right so so i think um people are sort of struggling with these basic necessities and that's why that crafting out a certain part of your life or certain like section of your like time in your like day to day routine or whatever it becomes challenging but if you consciously take that call i think it balances out eventually exactly yeah even just working with your resident welfare association working with somebody helping out volunteering yeah. at a school nearby 2 yeah. hours a week doesn't matter but you'll find as you engage you know i used to be in a business where i used to help companies uh, strategize on how to make more money in the indian market so i was really in the strategic consulting and market entry decisions and business growth decisions but trust me doing something on property tax or trying to do these tender show roads were a hundred times more gratifying yeah. than 
you know, helping some company make 5x more revenue, for which you got paid, but this, you never didn't even get paid, but the satisfaction is a very different kind of satisfaction and well worth it when you experience that high. Correct, correct. Cool. And one last question is that then how does sort of market play in this, uh, in the collaboration piece? Uh, do they sort of champion from the Samaj side or sort of how, how what, what role? And and this is mainly again for certain, mainly if, if you entrepreneurs and startup folks are listening to this, uh, they have like good capital today. Uh, they have some influencing power. So how can these sort of, yeah, like the market, how can right. sort of play a role in this? So in fact, I have, exp- the, in fact, I didn't elaborate this earlier at all. So the City Connect platform that I set up and was operational in five cities was for the market business to work with government on improving cities. That was what the City Connect idea was. And my case to the market was the following. You are doing whatever you need to do to be successful. But in your balance sheet, there is one item in your profit and loss expense. There is one item that is not there, which is the loss in profits because of the lack of productivity in the city. Hmm. It's a huge amount, whether you're caught in traffic, etc. And my case to the business has always been, and that is how Tender Show and all which they supported came about, saying it is in your interest to ensure the city works mm. because if the city works you will have more productive employees the spouses of your most productive employee will not want to leave the city overall you will actually stand to gain if the larger city works so think in terms of what can you do for the improving the larger city not just about your own plant or your campus. own uh, <laughs> campus or whatever because by helping the larger thing in a way you are helping your own business Mm. And it's and because of the lack of competency, etc., you can bring it to the table. So, to my mind, business needs to, because of its influence and its convening power, needs to work a lot more with government. But in what it decides to do, it must have in mind the lower income groups and not be elitist in the kind of things that it says I will get involved in. So it needs to think in terms of public toilets. It needs to think in terms of sanitation. It needs to think in terms of, uh, you know, local street lights and safety. Because that is what really makes this larger city better. And not just the elitist stuff, which they are often accused of. So you need to have the requisite sensitivity. But your bigger role is to actually engage with government and change the trajectory of the way they think about cities. Yeah. I remember one one sort of meme which I had seen or I don't know, somebody tweeted about it saying that I'm designing an app which will take food to the house in two minutes. But to make that app, I have to reach office which take two hours. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw that. Well, I think, uh, yeah, we can conclude on this note because it's just endless and with with such like huge body of work and wealth of knowledge that you have, I think... Uh, we can keep going on. Uh, I think uh, I would really love to have you again on audio again talking about how can we sort of, yeah, explore the 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 concept of design in a city context. Yeah, in fact, my current love Kedar there is what I call the soft infrastructure. Hmm. I'd love to talk about creation of public spaces where public can congregate, places where there are conversation, arts and culture for the people. You know, like I was mentioning, you know, we are doing the Bangalore Literature Festival is coming up on December 3rd and 4th. It's a public festival. 
the Bangalore International Center, which is an informed platform for arts and culture conversations. We need more of them. Life is not just about this working, working, working all the time. <laughs> yeah. And if you go back into history, it's the bazaar was the place where people met, yes. socialized, discussed. You know, uh, Plato's Republic, where they had debates and conversations and etc. All this adds to the richness of what it means to be a human being and live life. Yeah, yeah, totally. On that note, okay. thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot. I, I can't thank you sort of enough to be yeah, on thanks, the Kedar. show. Thanks, Kedar. Yeah, thanks, Kedar. Uh, so great much. to have you. Thank you. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.